we have an opportunity here to bring presence to the ceremony that is your life. And my invitation to you is to stop whatever you're doing, wherever you are, just for this one precious moment and take a deep breath. Follow the breath into your root point and land yourself right here, right now, into your present moment. And exhale. Welcome to the space where all the magic is happening and prepare yourself to receive the wild, raw expanse that is available inside the dojo that is your life. You are the empowered center point creator of every single experience that you are drawing into your field at this time. When you recognize that and really get that in your bones, you will receive yourself as the magnet for the most perfectly expansive evolutionary curriculum that is precisely crafted for you to evolve beyond what was in order to claim all that is a match to the you who is free. And that is what we are here to do inside the dojo as we explore what it means to live a life beyond the edge. This is a Soulfire production. Hello, dojo family. I am here with one of the most authentic, humble, genius wisdom keepers that I know in a form that is younger than the spirit inside seems <laughs> to feel. Every time I connect with her, I'm like, are you sure you're not a 70-year-old elder woman in this 30-something body carrying such ancient codes and wisdom uh, connected to the intelligence of the earth? And um, I want to introduce all of you to Nadia Ramo, who I've been weaving with and knowing for many years now. Um, I would come to her for bodywork sessions and Chinese medicine work, and I've just witnessed her blossom and step more and more into her channel and her offerings. And one thing that really, I don't know, has impacted me when it's come to you, Nadia, is like it's like your humility, like the amount of wisdom that you express and how the education that you've already experienced. When I've asked any question about any plant, the medicinal uses of the plants, the body, it just feels like you're pulling from such a vast reservoir of knowledge. And yet it's almost like what has struck me the most is that it's almost like she hasn't even realized how much wisdom and knowledge and intelligence she's actually carrying. And so I'm really excited today to introduce all of you to Nadia and create an opportunity for us all to learn from her. That was my intention before we hit record. Nadia and I were each sharing our our why for being here today. And one of my whys is actually to open up the space to just learn 
from this woman and, and, and create that channel for you to flow and really transmit some of the, you know, most inspiring pieces of your learning so far. And so Nadia, I'd love to just invite you to introduce yourself and share again, your why for saying yes to this podcast today. And just a little bit of background in terms of like your come from your education and your come from just to create some context for everybody listening. Mm, Thank you for that beautiful introduction. Yeah. I'm discovering more and more every day, uh, the wisdom and the discipline that I've, I've carried in the last couple of decades of truly dedicating myself to medicine and the body and healing. Um, yeah, well, the, my intention of coming onto this podcast is, you know, to to share my voice and also just share an insight that to an audience that we all have the capacity to heal, to be healed, to be carriers of medicine. It's in our bones, it's in our DNA. Um healing powers is our birthright. And so I think my the medicine of my humility is that, you know, I'm no different. I'm not an other compared to you. And um, I'm, you know, the beautiful thing about acupuncture is it just reminds the body to heal itself. Mm-hmm. And so I really carry, carry that torch of just reminding my patients or anyone I'm sharing wisdom with that, that they have the capacity to know this information. They have the capacity to heal themselves and to have their own relationship to plants. Um, and even inviting people on hikes, like, well, how does this plant make you feel? What do you smell? What is it reminding you of? And just kind of building your own intuition and relationship with certain plant allies out there. Yes. I love that. And where did the relationship to the earth? So you're a doctor of Chinese medicine Mm -hmm. and is there anything else layered in there that is the acupuncture woven into that? Yeah. So, um, I got my, my master's and, and later on my doctorate in Chinese medicine, we learn Chinese herbal medicine as part of our curriculum, um, which is an incredible curriculum and like really, really advanced level technicalities with understanding plants. Um, And, you know, a lot of the herbs I learn are Chinese based, and I really felt called to understand more local medicine. So I started to kind of go down the path of understanding the local ecosystem, you know, of the, of the Western coastal climates from a Chinese medicine perspective. And there's been some really epic people that I've already kind of started making those bridges. So sort sort of falling down their path and also making my own translations with just experimenting with things. Uh, I love that so much. Yeah. Yeah. Nadia on Instagram, her handle is earthy bad bitch. And (laughs) she is just one of the most like dynamic multifaceted (laughs) individuals that I know from like the, the gentle, soft, humble side of like a really deeply receptive space of listening that I experience when I'm with you all the way to this like badass West coast surfer chick (laughs) to like gangster, sexy playlist making to like doctor of Chinese medicine to medicine woman who, who is, is really bridging. It sounds like the, you know, Western and Eastern traditions Mm -hmm. and really getting familiar. I love what you're saying, like really familiarizing yourself and deepening relation with the plants that are native and local to where your body is. And so I'm curious, rewind, like 
what makes you, you like, I just named so many different dimensions that I experience when it comes to you. And so where, where, what is your origin story in terms of your relationship with the earth and with plant medicine and how, how did, what is your draw into this and how does this like surfer fucking, you know, chill woman, (laughs) fully devote herself to the path of really herbal medicine? Like how, how, where did that original spark happen? Um, well, you know, I grew up in Southern California, the daughter of, of parents that, that came to this country, uh, from Syria and, um, for the opportunity, my parents' intention of coming to this country was to give their children a blank slate. They gave us a lot of freedom for, however we wanted to find ourselves in culture, in music, in food, in religion and spirituality. So I grew up with a lot of encouragement to kind of just become however express I wanted to. And so I got like a lot of love um, and, and yeah, just support from my parents in that way. I got into surfing and surf culture and that definitely created an uh, unconscious but profound relationship to the ocean and, you know, a really important element of water. And I think I was a very angsty, hyper, rebellious teenager, yet coming back to the water and surfing just sort of kept this calm, cool, collected essence to me that I just never really lost. Um, didn't I couldn't have told you what a single tree or a single plant was. Um, I was I was pretty wild as a teenager. And then I got introduced to Chinese tea ceremony, uh, like 17, 18. And it really blew my mind, just like drinking the tea, the quietness of it, the stillness of it. I think my fiery teenage energy just was like, whoa, it kind of even brought me, it it had a a resonance to surfing a little bit too, of just bringing you super present. And a lot of tea people call it like the tea vortex. And -hmm. a lot of surfers were also really into drinking tea. So there was sort of this, these two worlds colliding that really Mm -hmm. fit with, with who I was. And I started to buy all the teaware and collect my teas. And I started a tea collection and I got super deep into, you know, these Taoist philosophies that often just come up when drinking tea and very much being part of the way and having no resistance to what is and just surrendering into the, like into the moment. So I would say that was my introduction into Chinese culture and tradition and medicine. Um, And then, you know, I did the college thing. I was actually studying to go into law school because my sister is a successful lawyer. And I was like, oh, maybe I could just like, you know, go into her footsteps. And um, I was actually drinking tea, studying for the LSAT and just kind of struck me like I could probably apply my my dedication to to academia to anything. And like, do I really want it to be law? And it just like, you know, the China, the essence of the Chinese tea was like, no, you're supposed to study me. Like mm. we're supposed to study Chinese medicine. And I didn't know anything about it. And I actually went into Chinese medicine with very little, like into the school with very little knowledge and background of it. And I actually thought it was a little bit more science, Western kind of base. But then, you know, your first theory class is all about chi and energy. And I was like, 
does this even work? What is this? Yeah. And just even going through my own beliefs and resistances to an, an energetic science and an energetic medicine, and yet it continuously proving me that it does work. There is something to this. And um, so that just sort of set me into the path. And then that was my first introduction into herbalism was Chinese medicine school. And then I actually went on a hike with a good friend of mine who who wasn't in Chinese medicine school. And he's like, aren't, aren't you learning about herbs? Like, what are these plants? And I that was the moment of realization of, oh, I'm learning all these foreign herbs. I should probably, if I'm going to call myself an herbalist, I should walk on my local trail and be able to identify the plants on my local trail. And so that kind of got me into um, studying a little bit more about the Native American uses and then just any kind of Western folk medicine, herbalism. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Yes. <laughs> yes. Bless the tea. The tea bridge. The tea bridge. Tea yeah. The bridge. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. So you named as you were sharing that there was your own kind of skepticism that would come out, come up around uh, a lot of the, you know, Chinese medicine theories. And then you kept having experiences of affirmation. Are there any specific turning points that you remember where like that skepticism was met with life affirming? insight or experience through your education that was like, okay, like I'm just humbled into believing that this is the way. Yeah. There's one specific story in particular that just sort of, that's when like the devotion inside of me got activated to pursuing this. Um, In your first term in our school, they put you as an observer in the clinic. So you're watching more, you know, like the more senior level students treating patients. And I this woman came in who had a stroke five years ago, couldn't raise her right arm, couldn't move the right side of her face. She had done everything under the sun, PT wise and Western medicine wise. And she's, and she came into the school to get a session. Um, and just her first session alone, they did a bunch of needling in her face, a bunch of needling in her arm with the E-STEM electrical stimulation. And that alone, she was able to like smile symmetrically and raise her right arm. And then um, she came back like and had full range of motion, completely back to normal within, I think, six sessions. So that to me was this big moment of like, wow, this medicine really works. And it's working for someone who reached a dead end with Western medicine. And so it's like this gold doorway into like the, the avenue of healing. Then like when you've been so shut down for years and years and years, and she was so discouraged and she even didn't have, you know, like, so the idea of placebo, like she didn't even believe that it was going to work and it did. And like the, the shock factor in the room when, when we witnessed her move her body, I mean, that was when like just full body chills. And I was like bowed down, like to the altar of Chinese medicine, like, all right, I'm in. <laughs> wow. That, that yeah. is amazing. Yeah, yeah. That, that really would be a mind blowing and very affirmative experience, you know, mm-hmm. as you really gave yourself to this path. And yeah. so now take us forward. So as you graduated, you know, I've really witnessed a major blossoming occurring in, in your life. It's like, I keep having this feeling of like, you really primed the pump for so many years through walking the walk. When I met Nadia, it was through a a friend, actually Mia magic. We, uh, there's an episode with Mia. You can listen to earlier, um, earlier in the show, if you want to check it out. But Mia actually introduced me to mm-hmm. you, I believe, many years ago. And Nadia was living in like a little like witchy spot up in the mountains in Topanga. And was this just like blew me away. It was this incredible experience of both acupuncture, body work, cupping, 
what's it called with the smoke when you do the moxa, yeah. moxa, just, I, I left completely energetically shifted after that experience. Yeah. And over these past several years, I've just witnessed you continue to prime the pump and continue to grow. And now just word on the street is like, have you had a session with Nadia? You know, <laughs> And so like, what have been some of the biggest, most like the biggest turning points for you along the journey after graduating, you know, after getting your doctorate and building your practice, like where are the biggest passion points for you when it comes to the work that you're doing that has continued to like drive you forward? Because now there's an expanse happening in the Mm -hmm. work that you're doing connected to like psychedelic plant medicine, you Mm -hmm. know? So just what, what are those turning points that have really like been like gears up for you to expand your practice? Yeah. Um, well, while I was in acupuncture school, I decided to get my massage license and just start building my practice with body work until I got my acupuncture license. And then when I got licensed, all of my body work patients were like, I don't want to stop getting your body work. It's the best. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I just started infusing both treatments and like the infusion of the two just had such a resonance for me, you know, Chinese, uh, how the Chinese medicine diagnostic diagnostic practices work is feeling the pulse, feeling the abdomen. Um, It's, you know, it's all these observations. And I was getting a lot of downloads through touching the body and through the body work, I would get so much information of like, this is where they need a point. This is what's going on. And, you know, and even like certain emotions associated with certain body parts. So I kind of, that started to like plug all the pieces together to create the the sessions that I've, I, you know, I still kind of carry today just Mm -hmm. in a more advanced level. I feel like, um, you know, when I finished my, um, master's program, I was super weak physically. I couldn't even make it up a flight of stairs without, uh, blacking out and fainting. I would, my, um, I couldn't even lay on my belly and I, I thought I had a hernia, but it, actually came come to find out it was an enlarged spleen due to a blood disorder I was diagnosed with, which I didn't even figure out the diagnosis of that until after I graduated and I didn't have insurance. I was in this weird in-between post-student kind of thing and just paid out of pocket. And basically doctors were like, oh, your body overproduces platelets. We need to do a bone marrow biopsy and really get into like seeing what's going on here. What they found was that I had this like acquired genetic mutation that was causing my body to just go crazy producing platelets. And all of the excess platelets were getting congested in my bone marrow, creating scar tissue, which led to another diagnosis called myelofibrosis, which is ultimately a form of bone cancer. And doctors were saying, you know, I had multiple doctors throughout Los Angeles and San Diego telling me like, you need to get on chemotherapy. This is going to turn into leukemia. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was really intense. And then, you know, here I am, this like freshly licensed acupuncturist, so ready to share my medicine with others. Yeah, I'm the one that needs like serious, serious healing intervention. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I went down the path of seeing what plant medicine and like really intense interventions around plant medicine had to offer in terms of insight. Mm -hmm. Uh, The first one that spoke to me actually, because my spleen was so enlarged and I actually had drank some Chinese tea that made me vomit and it felt really good to vomit. So I met a combo practitioner and the combo practitioner 
just uh, there was a, a resonance between me and him. I told him about my story. He was really open to helping me. And we started to work deeply with combo and my spleen shrunk instantly. Like wow. it, visually, you can see the difference in my abdomen. And then we did it over and over and over again. And it got to the point where I could surf again. I could hike again. I was able to like physically be active again, which was so important for my mental health. And so that kind of led me on the path of like, okay, there's, you know, I'm, I'm going to be okay. I started seeing patients again and just started to like get a little bit more confident that I could do this. And meanwhile, I'm working with one of my teachers doing acupuncture every single week, doing all the herbal formulas, just all these different things I could do in my lifestyle, my altar, everything was shifted towards healing my bones. Mm-hmm. Hence the name Dr. Bones. And bones. yeah, so I, I started like my whole altar was all about my bones and my ancestry. I worked with this Taiwanese woman who came to the state. She has, a, she was this beautiful gift um, of, of basically like doing this energetic cleansing to the body and her husband's a Qigong master. And so you work with her you cleanse your the chi of your body, then you start working with the husband and you do this qigong. And he knew bone marrow qigong. Um, so I started working with them, and she like she really kind of just planted the seed that this is like very ancestral level healing that's happening. And especially you being the daughter of immigrants, like this is all happening for you to do some deep deep work for your family line. And you're in California, a a, a state, a part of the world where you have the access to the most like medicines when it comes to alternative medicine, this is a hub. And so she's like, it's not an accident. You're here. Mm-hmm. Um, so I started doing then ayahuasca kind of crept into my field and I started working with ayahuasca and, um, yeah, that just like really opened me up. She was very clear with me. I, you know, I'm not going to fix you. I'm not going to heal you, but, but this is what this is about. This is what, like, these are visions and timelines of how you can live and move forward with, with what you were given. And soon my diagnosis became a gift, an opportunity, a portal. Um, and then went to Maui, did many days in silence in Maui. So I could have a lot of time to just do like the deep visualization, sort of like Joe Dispenza level, telling the neuropeptides of my mind to go in and rearrange my cellular structure and cellular signaling. Um, And I kept doing blood labs and I wasn't really seeing too big of a difference, Um, but I felt healthier and healthier and healthier. Wow. And so when I came back to San Diego after that, I started working with patients. And just from that like two year of going deep into my own healing, I was already seeing so much wisdom, compassion, like capacity to hold because of like the capacity I was able to hold myself. And the, and like my diagnosis wasn't something I was against. It wasn't this enemy. It became this teacher. And so then I started to give my patients that insight of like, what's this ailment? What's this teaching you right now? And rather than like this frustrating demon energy, like what, what is this? What's, where's the teacher? Where's the mother? Where's the grandmother in this? Mm-hmm. Um, so that started to like dramatically change the energy of how I carried, um, my medicine and, um, and then with, you know, ayahuasca was really good at just sort of like kind of removing the veil. And so I just started to see and tune into the energy, like the energetics from the foundation of understanding, you know, Chinese medicine. And I kind of just kind of got this like 
you know, sort of fifth dimensional like reality of being able to see people's meridians and see where their cheese blocked. And like, it just really activated my own capacity to see and witness and to, to, um, hold space. Yeah. I, as it, wow. As <laughs> sharing all of that, I just felt this incredible deepening, like almost like you have the surface level, you know, education, right? Mm -hmm. And there's a difference between education and embodiment. Yeah. So there's the education and then go through your own initiation around your healing period. There was like this, almost like the whole field just like sunk deeper in terms of what you're able to hold, what you're able to see and become aware of first within yourself and then in service to, and in support of your patients. And I feel like that's, wow, such a powerful perspective and response in terms of like what, what motivated you and what kept it going. It was very, it's life affirms in ways that we don't expect or yeah. even prefer sometimes. And the, the way that you're holding it from this place of total empowerment, like this sickness is not something I'm against. It's not, a demon that I have to fight. It's actually a deep teacher and a deep honor while it's challenging at times. There's an honor when you hold the perspective that you at the leading edge of your line, from the perspective of your ancestry, here mm -hmm. you are at the leading edge of it, doing this work for yourself and all those who came before you and all those who will come after you. And yeah. then the ripples of you right there at the leading edge, doing that work, ripples out to everyone that you touch. And now you're touching these lives from a place of true integrity because mm -hmm. the work that you're serving is actually work that you've done within yourself. And yeah. so I feel like the greatest healers are the ones, I mean, the initiatory path of the healer, the initiatory path of the shaman, the initiatory path of any doctor, really, I feel like that passion, when we get beyond just the educated and into yeah. like the ones who have walked it themselves, that's where I feel that level of integrous holding and true compassion in the field of compassion is the field from my perspective where real, real, real healing can happen. And I, from my perspective, it doesn't matter whether it's Western medicine or Eastern medicine, it's yeah. the, the doctor or the healer or the shaman, that individual who's holding the field can't do the healing for them. Just like you said, your work with grandmother, she's like, I'm not going to do this for you. You're doing it, but there's a field of possibility. There's a field of love, a field yeah. of compassion, a field of possibility that you're embodying because you've done it yourself that you can actually with integrity hold for someone who's just beginning their journey. Mm -hmm. You know. Yeah. So along the way in your path, yeah, you shared, you know, when you were in school and experience that you had of like a, a miracle healing that you witnessed through the acupuncture. And I know that when we've had sessions together, you like touch a certain part on my foot and it's super tender. And I'm like, what is that? And you say, oh, it's, it's connected to the, the, um, the heart or, oh, it really makes sense that that's tender there because it's, you know, this liver function and that's connected to X, Y, or Z. So 
I want to go to like Dr. Bones school right now. <laughs> and, um, you know, just based in your own inspiration and your own, like what's actually alive either within yourself or someone you've worked with recently, can you do a little like Dr. Bones education around, you know, someone either experiencing like heartbreak or anxiety or like mm-hmm. some really common, you know, stressors that you see in patients of yours? Like, are there any like acupressure points or things that you could teach us that are points on our body that might actually someone might be able to work with on themselves that are connected to different emotional experiences? Yeah, absolutely. There's lots. There's lots. Dr. Bone School. <laughs> yeah, let's try the dojo. <laughs> let's go. Yes, yes. Um, well, one thing I have, I've personally been just like doing for myself. So I feel called to just share this right off the bat is, um, you know, the, all the screen time that we're having and in conjunction with the, the, the intensity of comparison and like all the stuff that comes with social media. I mean, it's a beautiful platform and also it's one that creates, creates a lot of complexities in our psyches. We are seeing like the, like the superficial reality for so many people. And so I like to do this kind of after I've like noticed I've been scrolling for a little while, or even if I'm like online working on things for a while, this is sort of my like screen time reset. Um, So we can, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it makes a really big difference. Um, so we have the urinary bladder channel, which this is like an epic channel because it has, it's the biggest channel on the body has 67 points and it goes from the eyeballs wraps around the top of the head, parallels, the spine down the glutes, down the, the calves, all the way to the pinky toe. And it penetrates through the brain and it also accesses every organ in the body. So I love working with the urinary bladder channel. Um, and be, and it, because it, you know, it starts in the eyeball, it also accesses the eyes and it helps just reset the eyes and, and the nervous system as well. Cause of this, the relationship to the spinal cord and, and the vagus nerve and all the organs. Mm. So one thing you can do is like, if you're feeling a little eye strain or you're just like, whoa, you know, when you kind of realize you've been in the like screen vortex, um, is to just press on the inside, like they call this the inner canthus of the eyes. Mm-hmm. And to just like, you know, take a deep breath and sort of, I like to do little pulses and rather than pressing totally towards each other, you're actually pressing kind of back. Mm -hmm. So for all of you who are listening on just audio uh, on any of the audio platforms, what we're doing is we're touching with our pointer fingers on the inside of the eye on either side of the nose. So the outside of the bridge of the nose, right where the, the point of your eye is. And if this might be a good invitation to check out on YouTube, the Dojo podcast on YouTube, you can find the video there and see where these points are being touched, um, by Nadia and go through these practices through the video as well. Yeah. And you'll start to really feel like this kind of radiating energy around the whole entire eyes. I even feel it in my head. So are you just holding constant pressure or are you, I do a little oscillation. So just like pressing in, coming out, pressing in, coming out and the secret to touch is that you don't touch with your muscles, you touch with your chi. And there's a really different energy. It's like, it's like, you know, there's, there's, 
okay, I'm bringing my fingertips to my hand, but there's also like, I'm bringing my chi to my hand and there's a difference and you can feel Mm -hmm. that actually has more sensation on the receiving end. Maybe this, you'll feel more sensation on this end, but on the receiving end, it'll feel more sensation if you take the intention of your chi. Wow. I really feel that. Yeah. Yeah. So just everyone listening, touch with one hand, the other hand, do it the first time with the pressure of your muscle touching your hand. And then the next time have the intention to touch your opposite hand, just with your chi. And then your fingers do touch, but there's more of like a penetrative quality I'm finding. And it's sensational. Yeah. You can feel it deeper. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Wow. That's powerful. And that's one, that's one trick that I tell all people. They're like, how do your hands not get tired? I'm like, because it's not my hand. It's my, it's the chi, you know? And so even when you're like touching someone or, you know, doing anything, it's always just like, you always want to think of the energetics that are working because that's an unlimited source, but our physical body is limited. Like we will die, but our energy never will. So it's just about being resourceful with your physical body and then, and really utilizing the energy. Amazing. Okay. So for all of you in social media vortexes, we work on this point with the urinary bladder tract between the eyes, which, yeah, that's really incredible. I didn't realize that that goes all the way through the entire body, all the way down to the, and then you can even tap on just above that, right where you're basically where the ends of your eyebrow is just tapping there too. And then tapping all around the eyebrows. And then this is called the, you know, like the, um, the orbit of the eyes, like the super orbit, the infra orbit of the eyes, and just even like going all around the eye socket. Uh-huh. So right now we're tapping around the eyes from the upper cheekbones, all the way to the corners on the outside of the eyes and all the way above the eyebrows. and then down again and around. So you're just making circles around your eyes with tapping, tapping, tapping around the face. And what does that do for the social media addict? It's gonna, it's gonna help reset the eyes and it creates like a sensation so that all of your, your nervous system gets so programmed into what am I looking at, but then to actually tap back into what am I feeling? So it brings you back into the body basically. And now we're accessing the stomach channel, which the stomach is, I think the second or the third biggest channel in the body, which goes from the eye down through the chest, through the abdomen, through the, the quad and the shin, and then all the way at the ends at the second and third toe. So this is a, this stomach point is just like a nice one to tap. And you can really feel a lot of sensation. And this point has a lot to do with anxiety because it goes through the heart and it's, it has the relationship between the di- the digestion and mood very much stomach channel related. So, um, I like to also tap on this one to just sort of, if like the anxiety kind of creeps in. Yeah. So like right under the eye is a good point to tap that she's yeah. thing right there. If you're, if you're looking straight, it's directly below your pupil. Got it. Amazing. So yeah. what about for anyone that has trouble with sleep? Sleep. Well, that's I'll all just name. I'll just name <laughs> situations and then you give us the, re- the Dr. Bones remedy. Yeah. Um, well, sleep's tricky because it, there's so many different patterns of why someone isn't, isn't getting good sleep. Um, one thing that I, I personally do if I'm dealing with sleep is, is kind of just tap touching into the collarbone area. Cause the, a lot of these points, we have a kidney point here, a stomach point here, and then we have our lung point on the outer. So 
lung, uh, stomach, kidney. And a lot of like the, these points right here are kind of known as the window of heaven points. So they just like bring calmness into the mind. Mm -hmm. And so, and can reduce anxiety and also access, um, uh, like this point in particular, our adrenals and stuff. So if we're a little hyper-minded and feeling a lot of chi rising by pressing onto these points, just sort of in that first intercostal space, just below the collarbone and just sort of breathing and holding. Um, and then you could even do a little bit of tapping along the chest mm -hmm. and down this also, this part of the body is related to fire. So insomnia is kind of like yang rising the fire coming up so just tapping and even imagining mm. you know all your fire all of the hyper chi of like mm. your mind coming back into the body mm. um, i really feel that as you're sharing that in and she was tapping everyone listening on audio on the heart and just under the collarbone as well and you know there's something around also our belief system and moving from like an automatic vehicle to a manual almost yeah. like where we actually get behind the wheel of our own physiology. Mm -hmm. And I do feel that the efficacy that we experience from any sort of treatment, like self-treatment like this is going to be directly related to how deeply we believe that it's possible that it can work. Yeah. So like if you are in resistance within yourself to actually bringing your energetic signature behind the possibility that some of these practices, like the simplicity, like there's a part of me that's almost like, oh, the simplicity of like tapping on my heart or like working the energy under the collarbone. I can imagine there could be layers of doubt of like, yeah, would that really help or would that really work? And it's like, try. Like really, what yeah. if you gave it everything that you had as if you were training for the Olympics of consciousness <laughs> and brought your energetic body all the way behind the way? Because I felt for myself when you were describing the fire and the chi and the anxiety, I'm like, oh, if I really ground myself and get behind where I'm tapping and I could feel it more, I can feel the, the expression of love that comes from my own work on myself in these ways. You know what I mean? And so it's like, you can go to Nadia in person or a professional Chinese medicine doctor, and you can also do some of this work between you and you, but how mm -hmm. deeply do you believe yourself to be your own greatest healer? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. We all deserve the rights to know our own body and even understanding our, how we can go, move through our moments of a heightened or stimulated space or depressed or anything along the spectrum that, that feels imbalanced or feels off. And just to trust that you actually have the tools. Mm -hmm. And I mean, it does take a little bit of education and also just exploration of like, oh, wow, that feels good. Oh yeah. Okay. And like, just tuning into like, what, like, does that feel good? I love after yoga class, scratching my belly. <laughs> I always am in after Shavasana, like scratching my, and it just feels so good. I give my body like full body goosebumps. And, there, and, and to me, I'm like, oh, I'm opening all my channels. Like I, Shavasana, you're like 
in this receptive mood, you've just opened your entire body. And like, yeah, I'm just actually, what I feel like I'm doing is I'm really just flowering my body with chi, you know, and just giving myself that space and finding no shame into like whatever kind of soothing self-touch that you, that just, and that just feels natural. And I feel like we've, we've become so disconnected from, from just expressing and getting to know our own body in that way, especially with a device in our hand that demands so much of our touch Mm -hmm. and to just put the phone away at night and to just like, see what happens if we just explore our own body. Yeah. I love that language, like flowering myself with chi. So yeah. can you explain more deeply what, what is, what do you mean when you say with chi and what are the benefits yeah. of flowering your body with chi <laughs> and then also bridging? Cause I actually experience you as one of the more sexually empowered women mm-hmm. that I know and your relationship with pleasure in the body. And so can you share with me a little bit more around again, chi, what does that mean? Flowering, flooding the body with chi, or we could also say, you know, the energy of pleasure and how, what is your relationship with the energy of pleasure? How do you work with pleasure in the body? And, and where's that bridge between chi and pleasure? Yeah. Yeah. So chi is sort of like a big umbrella statement. Um, in Chinese medicine, it gets super technical of like what organ is producing, what kind of chi and all of those things. But just a general understanding is that chi is sort of like the spark in which gives anything a form of life. So a plant has chi, anything that's growing, evolving, alive in some way, shape or form, responding to um, the environment is has a chi to it. And so, um, when I say chi, it's just the, it's the essence of like everything that's alive and the organism of the cosmos and the world in and of itself. And so the idea with chi gong even is we, we can gather the earth chi into our body and we can gather source chi, which is in from the heavens into our body. And we can feed our own internal alchemy through, through these sources of chi. And then by cult doing cultivation practices like chi gong, which means the cultivation of chi, that's when we're pulling in chi of the elements into our bodies. And we're also harmonizing the chi of all of our organs to create a nice flow. And so chi can become blocked. It could become stagnant. Chi can become drained and leak out. Um, and then also chi can, it can be like, you know, they, they, there's even like characters in the classic text around evil chi. And there's this idea of a pathogenic chi entering into your body. Um, and that could be like a cold, a runny nose, or someone say, saying something mean to you or abusive to you and you really internalizing that. Mm -hmm. So she has all mechanisms and forms, but I would say like a really simple way is just like the essence of all things that are, that are moving, um, with us. And, um, a beautiful practice, I guess, in, in feeling your own chi, I mean, other than qigong and any type of internal meditative art or yoga art is the practice of touch and pleasure and, um, and like seeing what lights you up and taking away any taboos or, um, you know, like, yeah, I guess, ideas of what, like if worthiness and our own trauma associated with worthiness and sexuality and pleasure, you know, it's like, if something is, is really evoking and making us feel alive and then there's something, there's something really powerful to that. Mm -hmm. And so, 
to do that with responsibility because you can have a lot of like sexual pleasure orgasmic experiences but if there's if you're taking all of that in and orgasming orgasm orgasm that's where you're going to start draining your chi so there's the idea of of cultivating in your own pleasure and that's that's doing it in a really conscious and aware and intentional way. Qi and intention are very overlapped in Chinese medicine. There's a saying that even says like, qi goes where intention goes or something like that. Um, so it's it's really important to, in the pleasure space, to just not be leaking your pleasure energy everywhere and just like seeking it and wanting it and you know, hungry and thirsty for it. But to, if you are in a place and like, you know, you think of like a figure eight where there's sort of like this giving, receiving mm-hmm. feedback, mm-hmm. communication, like mm-hmm. clean energy, there's, you know, it's all clean and clear and open. And like, then it can be really potent. And then you have the idea of, you know, alchemy between two people. And that can really create a whole new vortex of energy and chi. And then it could even, I've, I've had low back pain literally resolve from pleasure experiences. Um, and so this idea of like something stagnant in my sacrum, cause that's where the pain was. And then just an orgasm itself, like moved that energy. And then I felt really inspired and creative and active the next day. So, and what did that, can you be more specific about that? So were you in the experience with the back pain, were you in a ritual space around healing the back pain when you had the pleasure experience or was it like a spontaneous healing? It was a spontaneous healing. Um, I, you know, I've been in a place of a lot of self-cultivation, so I haven't been having as much intimacy with, with others as, as, as much as I guess, if you are, when you're in a relationship or other phases of your life. Um, but I was in an intimate space with, with, with a lover and, um, yeah, it was, it turned into, it just turned into like a really beautiful orgasm. And I felt like warmth go through my whole waist and, I got up and I was like, oh, my low back pain is gone. And then it hasn't even come back since then. I even worked out the next day and I was able to do moves I hadn't been able to do. So it's definitely, and I mean, really what that was is I had stagnation and the orgasm just moved the stagnation and created the flow. And a lot of times physical pain in the body is always related to chi being stagnant. Wow. Yeah. Amazing. Okay. So a lot of the noticing that anyone listening can do is how do you track whether you have stagnant chi in the body? Mm. So if you have, um, I mean, it gets pretty complex because you can have deficiency pain as well, like elders with weak low back and like weak knees and even like, uh, yeah, bone pain and stuff. This is when you're seeing more of the deficiency, Mm -hmm. but a lot of times when we're, you know, if you're younger, um, it's usually coming from stagnation. I would say it's, it's a sensation of like sharp pain or a limited range of motion Mm -hmm. or this like naggy sort of thing that won't leave. That's usually chi stagnation. Um, even, you know, with, with women and the menses, it's like, it's, and there's blood stasis too, blood stagnation in Chinese medicine. And so it could just be a lot of stagnation in the womb area. And so when the, the menses is calling for that movement and there might be some blocks, so that's usually what the pain around menses is associated with mm. is there's still this like 
holding on. There's still this stagnation, yet the cycle is asking for it to flush out. So then it's like they're kind of opposing each other. The energy is like, like a cross current. Yeah, exactly. And that's what creates a like really painful menses. Mm. So, okay. So these are some ways to track. So if you're listening and you do track, okay, I've had this ongoing experience and I'm, I'm sensing that there's stagnation there. So one way to meet it is potentially like a self-pleasure practice to try to intentionally move energy into the stagnation and get the energy moving or like dance or maybe there's pressure points. So if now we're getting a little more prescriptive, if someone's noticing, I think I have stagnation in this way in any way, I don't know if this is too broad because it could be your men's, your moon stagnation. It could be back pain. It could be whatever. Is it just like, what would you, what would you prescribe for somebody that's feeling stagnation in the body? Yeah. I mean, point prescriptions get very specific as to where, um, a general, a general like invigorator of the body in Chinese medicine, we call it the four gates. So it's two of the same points just on both sides of the body. So the part of the four gates is, is, uh, the point if you're where, where your big toe and your second toe, toe, you have the metatarsals junctioning, it creates a V between those two bones. It's right in the middle. It's right where that point is. Yeah. So I could show it on here and then show it. So we have on YouTube, you will see Nadia's feet. Yeah. So we have our <laughs> toe and then our second toe. And then mm-hmm. the junction of where those two bones meet right in there is a hole. And we call that liver three. Uh-huh. And so that point in combination with the point between the thumb and index finger, this super tender point that a lot of us know for headaches. Yeah. Um, those, or submit somebody if you want to hit one of those. When I was a kid, you could, there's like a, a tender spot right there. It'll yeah. just take you out of the game. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so those points in conjunction with each other, if you do it on both sides, tend to, they call it opens the four gates in the sense that it like opens the gates, lets the wind in and really lets energy move. Um, mm. But yeah, I mean, for specific parts of the body, it's going to be a different point prescription every time. But I would say one thing that is important to do is one of the most basic form of human movements is walking. And we've, our ancestors have been walking for thousands and thousands of years. And walking is something that we should be able to do from a balanced point. So if I would say go on a meditative walk, especially in nature, because it just like helps just embody us and get us out of our head. Um, and to just feel like, how does walking feel? Like, where am I feeling resistance in walking? And like, mm-hmm. and so that kind of gives you some sweet little like highlight points of like, oh, I've been walking for 10 minutes and I have an achiness in my shoulder or I have an achiness in my yeah you know, groin area, um, or my heel hurts, whatever. And to, but then that way you can kind of pinpoint those areas. And then if you go get like body work or acupuncture, you can be really attuned to it, you know, and you're like, yeah, my shoulder, my leg hurts with walking. And so, I mean, obviously when we try to do certain performance things, we have certain parts light up, but I would say a really good check-in of just like, cause we have stagnation that we don't even know about sometimes. Mm say walking and doing meditative walking and like feeling where you're stuck when you're walking is a really good way to just have a deeper understanding. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I feel that. Yeah. So speaking of walking in nature, (laughs) I would love you. I'm wondering if you could take us on a little journey of some of your favorite plants 
Like some plants that you have just really cultivated relationship with over the years, whether local or non-local, you already mentioned tea and certain either plants or herbs that are just like some of your stellar favorite plants and tell us, give us like their signature. Like if they could speak to us, what are they here for? And let's just get a little Dr. Bones transmission of like a little walkabout in nature that we can meet some of these allies. Um, oh my gosh. I feel like, I feel like I'm betraying other plants if I don't name all of them, but I, (laughs) I, I, well, one that's coming super alive for me right now because it grows everywhere and, um, it's popping off right now in Los Angeles because of all the rain is, is mugwort. Um, which is in the Artemisia family. It has a beautiful odor. Like a lot of times when you're hiking, especially in the early mornings, and if you're like, what does that smell? You're probably smelling something in the Artemisia family. Mm-hmm. Um, and mugwort is what Chinese medicine practitioners use for moxibustion. So it's the same plant and it's just the dried out plant and we burn it. And so when you burn mugwort, it has this beautiful, like, infrared heat response on the body. So, so a traditional way of burning moxa is rolling into these cigar-like forms. And then you just light, you light the end of it and you hold the ember up to an acupoint on the body. And usually people feel like a really profound effect. And like this, this energy penetrates the heat, penetrates into the channels, but also they've done studies on it and what it's actually doing to the tissues. And they see that it penetrates into the tissues all the way down to the bone level. So it has this like really responsive topical, um, reaction in the smoke form, which not a lot of plants offer medicine in the smoke form. I mean, all the sages of course too, but, um, so that's really special about it. And then as a tea, um, it enters, it goes to the womb and it warms the womb up. So one of the reasons why wombs have, um, stagnation is, is actually like the element of cold and cold creates contraction and stuckness. Mm -hmm. So moxa is really good at just like warming the uterus, increasing blood flow. It could be a great fertility herb. It's safe with pregnancy. There's controversy around mugwort not being safe for pregnancy. Um, I'll speak on that just briefly because it's actually like, if you Google mugwort, you'll find like all of these things around, um, herbal abortions, which Mm -hmm. is super unsafe. And you should absolutely do that with someone that really knows what they're doing. If you are going to go into that route, never do that unassisted, never do it just based off of reading what you read online, but mugwort is safe to take during pregnancy. Um, in, and you don't want to overdo it, but the reason why mugwort would be in an abortion herbal formula is because it accesses the womb. So if you combine mugwort with a harsh expellent herb, which there is a Chinese herb that can create an abortion, you would combine the two because the mugwort's going to guide and direct that other herb to the womb. Wow. So that's why you see it in abortion, um, yeah, and in, in termination formulas, but it doesn't, it's not actually dangerous itself by itself. Wow. That feels important. And just the way that you just described like the mugwort, the mugwort itself is like the guide. Yeah. Other plant into the womb. And now yes. you, is there like an, an, are you referencing like the spirit of mugwort that is doing the guiding? Like, yeah, the spirit way? Yeah, the spirit and from a Chinese medical perspective, I mean, we look at it quite physically too. Like it actually accesses the womb. And if you have cold related period cramps, like if you're someone that is dealing with moon cramps that needs a heat pad, 
try drinking some mugwort. It'll feel like you're, you're drinking a heat pad for your womb. It's like really incredible. So it, it really does. I mean, energetically and whatever, you know, like just like the science of herbalism and actually really does access the womb. Wow. Oh my gosh. Okay. I need to go on. We need to go on a hike so you can show me mugwort and we can make mugwort during our moons. Yeah. That sounds, that's really magical. And thank you for clarifying that. Totally. I think it's super important to have that conversation. And, um, it's also one that is really friendly to harvest because it's like a weed. So it just keeps going. So it's something too, that you can just find and like grab as much as, as much as you want with, you know, with also respect for the land. Totally. Okay. So we've met Mugwort. Yes to that. That feels exciting. I just feel you so lit up when we're (laughs) into the plants, which is like part of where we resonate so highly. Okay. I want to meet another one. Um, oh my gosh. Okay. Woo. Well, oh my gosh, I just got an image, a vision for some of your Insta reels that you're going to be doing. I want like a plant Rolodex with just you speaking to all the different, like everyone gets their own expression from you, like getting to know them. And maybe this is just like an intro runway to that. Cause we're not going to have time for all the plants on here, but you could like there could be like a Rolodex on Dr. Bones on any platform that you create of just like totally. your relationship with every one of the plants. Yeah. I'm, I'm going in that direction. I've, I've made two reels about herbs. Um, uh-huh. it feels really good. So one of the herbs is Dujong. I was debating, which is Eucomia bark, which I'm like, do I want to talk about that one? But, um, well, I guess I will talk about that one. Cause that one is super cool. Um, it's, it's a really cool bark that grows on a tree that's native to China. So this is one that's a little bit more special to the lands of China. Um, and it's, it's like a, it has these like really big kind of long chunky fibers, but then in between each fiber, it has this white sheathy web that, um, I've worked with cadavers before. So I've seen actual physical fascia. It literally looks exactly and feels and just the whole thing exactly like fascia. And it has the capacity to mend um, torn ligaments and, and tendons, and also it mends bones. So Dujong is a really beautiful one because it goes into the kidney channel, goes into the bone, it goes into the bones. So that's another herb for just like general kind of bone. I was working with that herb a lot with my, my bone stuff and, um, doing high, high doses of that because I really wanted to start accessing the bones. I also broke my ankle bone a few years ago. And, you know, generally for a bone to men takes six weeks. I was drinking Dujong and putting it on topically every single day. And in two weeks, my bone, I had got another x-ray and it was like completely gone. The doctors were just even like, wow. Yeah. That acupuncture stuff really works, huh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So Dujong is something that you can, you can use topically or, or internally for, for mending and healing. And also it has the, um, it has, it is good for pregnancy in the way that it, it stops hemorrhages. And so, and it can actually help remedy, um, a potential miscarriage. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Plants are so magical. Okay. I have a request. Yeah. Mushrooms. Okay, which kind? or psilocybin? Like, how does psilocybin work in the brain to support creating new neural net- networks? Networks, yeah. Um, so psilocybin is super interesting. Um, 
Well, generally, all psychedelics across the board, you could say this, they have the capacity to shut down what's called the default mode network of the brain. And when the default mode network of the brain shuts down, other parts of our brain light up. And so this is how kind of the, the beginning stages of neuroplasticity is we, our default mode network is what it sounds like. It's our default activated parts of our brain. Like usually it was a lot of time related to our prefrontal cortex and like some parts of the middle part of our brain, obviously our brainstem and like just the communication between those parts of the brain. This is very much the like me living my daily life in conversation. How am I looking to this person? I want to make sure I fit into this, this situation, this dynamic, having a meeting, like very heady thought orientated kind of default mode. Mm -hmm. Um, so when that mode shuts down, it, it gives the opportunity for other parts of the brain to activate and light up. What they've noticed in higher doses of psilocybin and with people who generally have mystical-like experiences or the experiences of oneness, there's the thing called the parietal temporal lobe, which is kind of on the side here. That starts to light up. And then other parts that are associated with language light up, are associated with art and like creativity and our relationship to like yeah, our relationship to God. So, and, and just spirit in and of itself and just having that bigger, like, Oh, Whoa, what is this moon? Like where that just those questions was like existential questions of like, what is life all about? Yeah. Those are usually associated with kind of the more side parts of the brain. So psilocybin and other psychedelic journeying also high amounts of meditation and breath work can do this as well. Um, in terms of activating those parts of the brain. So once those parts of the brain get activated, we have a remembrance of those feelings of those thoughts. That's why integration is so important because integration allows for the neuroplasticity to continue in those other parts of the activated brain. So after you've had that default mode network shut, shut down, you maybe the next day go into your into your meditation and you remember, like you remember those feelings, those insights, and then you start to like weave and live your life in a way that's keeping those parts of your mind activated and simple, simple tasks like sweeping, or even just like redoing your altar or like, you know, the Japanese have those little like sand Zen gardens, all of those kinds of like mindless, simple daily tasks, those actually help shut down the default mode network too, because it helps you kind of get out of your mind and into the present. And it's all about just being in the present. Mm -hmm. So, um, and then of course, psilocybin also the, the molecule of psilocybin itself attaches to the serotonin receptor sites. So that's how it's like creating the, the, the effects. And so, um, it's, it's really beautiful in the way that it doesn't overactivate serotonin, like something like MDMA does where you have this high, you, it just like signals that serotonin is like, like overproduced. And so you get this high spike and this high crash, but the psilocybin molecule just kind of stimulates it without getting a spike of a certain neurotransmitter. So you don't have like as much of a crash and mm -hmm. a downside either way, but some people do because there is a little bit of a, of a like activation of the mind. And then there's like inevitably going to be a come down. So there is ways to remedy that with like certain supplements for people. And so can you describe some of those supplements, uh, that are really like good aftercare? If you've had a psychedelic experience recently, specifically with psilocybin, cause that's what we're speaking of here. What are some aftercare, um, you know, supplements that could support that little bit of a, you know, just integration period the next day or the, in the following week. Yeah. I think, um, 
your L-theanine is a really good one. Just helps kind of keep it nice and balanced. Just the, the, the spikes of all of the neurotransmitters and same with tyrosine, T-Y-R-O-S-I-N-E. That one is a, is a kind of a newer one that's been hitting the world of psychedelic therapy and they're finding it to be really beneficial for people. Um, and it also that those two substances, because they're so, um, opening for like the brain and just like validating in terms of the neurotransmitter, like homeostasis kind of functioning, like they just reinforce their, their like good performance level. Um, they're good to sort of integrate as well for, like I said, to kind of just keep those other neural pathways open. Mm. So L-theanine and tyrosine, and then any kind of amino acid like GABA or something like that is good too. And then course, electrolytes, and you could do something like a, like a Myers cocktail IV. All of these are just really good ways to just kind of keep the, the beautiful effects like going. So there's a deeper remembrance and integration in the body. Mm -hmm. Thank you. And, and so much beyond the physiology or in addition to the physiology, I love what you shared around when the default mode network is turned off, that creates availability for other parts of the brain to light up. And that's where those new neural networks start to form. And then it's really important to kind of live into those new ways of thinking, new ways of creating, new ways of being, new ways of acting in the integration period following an expansive mystical or psychedelic experience so that it doesn't just become another peak experience, but rather the expanse that was accessed in the experience is actually integrated in a good way that you yes. can walk through that door, those new doorways again and again and again. And of course, supporting the physiology after care, after any major experience, expansive experience like that is central for integration to really happen. So yeah, yeah thank you for bringing that. Okay. So one more, one more plant <laughs> of your choosing before we land the ship. Um, whew. well, I think I would like to talk about this one because it's so alive where in, in the Los Angeles County and it's also, I mean, Southern California in general, and there's a lot of controversy around it, mm. which is the Toyone berry, mm. um, which is this red berry that we see growing a lot of people see all over and it's 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 actually blooming right now the berry it's fruiting right now mm-hmm. and that's it got the name holly holly berry because it's it, it is alive in the winter time you can actually go and harvest it and that's actually what gave the name hollywood is this tree because it grows all over the canyons and stuff wow. around here and so um People think that this that this fruit, this red berry is poisonous, and it is in fact not poisonous. It is quite the opposite. It's incredibly healing. And in raw form, in super high doses, but you would probably have to eat the equivalent of like a bucket in order to get um, ex- exposed to the cyanide. Other than that, though, it is not poisonous at all. If you chew it, it's a little bitter, but if you keep chewing it, it gets like a nice cherry flavor. It's in the same family as cherry. Mm-hmm. And um, you can dehydrate them, let them out in the sun, and they turn into like almost like little red goji berries, and they're super yummy and delicious. And there's a, a really epic herbalist um, pharmacologist at USC doing studies on this herb right now and this berry right now in um, helping prevent Alzheimer's. And the Shumash, which is the indigenous tribe that used that was basically like habitated all the Santa Monica mountains, 
they called this, um, they had a certain name. Well, they called it Toyon Berry, but then they, uh, or Toyon, and they gave it to the elders. And they really believed that it kept the elders' mind sharp. And the elders would tell stories and eat this berry at the same time. And they were very, and it would help them with their memory. And now they're actually seeing phytonutrients that do support the brain and neuroplasticity and neurogenesis. So um, it's really cool. It's a really special herb. I've highly like to harvest it and, and just dry them out in the sun. And yeah. Uh, yeah. Wow. I'm just, I love the I, childlike wonder that I feel just <laughs> hearing you transmit about all these plants and then just feeling that just the ancient intelligence present in the spirit of the plant life all across this planet, all across this planet. Yeah. And we're coming into a greater harmony, a greater conversation and the greater education, you know, from practitioners and teachers like you feels really important at this time on the planet. So thank you so, so, so much for bringing your wisdom here. I feel so grateful and may it be the first of many times that we hear your voice within the dojo podcast and the ecosystem. And I'd love for you to share with us if anyone wants to work with you more deeply, I highly recommend it um, <laughs> to have a session with Nadia. Where can they find you? And yeah, how can people reach out? Um, well, like you said, my my Instagram is earthy bad bitch. And earthy bad bitch. And then I have my website, drnadiaramo.com. Um, I am like just in the, I'm like just about to coming into stepping up into teaching some, some online offerings and workshops and all the things I got some free ones coming up. So just stay tuned via Instagram or through my website. Um, you could subscribe on my website and I'll be sending out some information of some offerings. I'm coming up in the next couple months. Amazing. Thank you yeah. so much. Thank you for your voice and being such an ally of the work within the dojo ecosystem and all that you're creating. I just bless you up so, 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 so much. And I'm so excited for more of your voice to come out right now, like your workshops and everything. I'm going to be taking some myself and education around the, you know, education and awareness around, you know, plant medicine in all of its forms. We walk by just on a hike on any day we're walking by so many different ally teachers that are here to support and and to not even have any awareness really of the, the support in the, in the plant life that's present, um, just feels like it's ready to shift for me and especially in the local plant life that's here. And so I'm really excited to deepen with you in that way and continue to learn from you and just so much gratitude. Thank you for being here, mama. Thank you so much. This was so great. Mm -hmm. And with that, we're going to complete this episode. And I am so grateful for all of you that have been listening and receiving so deeply. And I'm excited to see you next time. Thank you all for creating this space to receive this transmission and for having the courage that it takes to live your life beyond the edge. If you feel the call to go deeper with me privately or explore the dojo ecosystem, the best place to start is by visiting zaharazimring.com and taking your free micro dojo. You can also find me on Instagram at Zahara Zimring, and I love hearing from you guys. So feel free to send me messages, make comments, and I will absolutely get back to you. 
I also would deeply appreciate if this episode or any of these episodes have touched your heart, leave a review as it really supports this show in touching more hearts and more lives all around the world. Thank you for joining and I'll see you next time.